0: for your loving kindness. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. We did not take them for granted. We thank you for all of your benefits. You daily load us with them. And Lord, with expectancy, we receive from you. We thank you for manifestation in our lives. We praise you. We bless you. Thank you for your anointing upon your word that we are changed forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh this last week we had a three-day fast and uh, we had a very powerful conclusion on Friday night and of course last Sunday dr. North brought a message to us on motivation for holy living and as I sat back there and listened to him I was just so blessed by God for his confirmation and for how God just uh, knows how to do things best uh, the entire message that they gave last Sunday uh, was the, was a, actually, it's a similar message that I gave to the uh, Sons in Ministry in October, uh, which we call that particular segment Holiness Redefined. And it's actually a part of a three uh, module, series and teachings that I've never brought to the church, but that we have given to our. Ministry Sons, and of course, we've done in Nigeria. Actually, that's what we did in Nigeria all last year. Those three uh, things. So it was a blessing for me to sit back and receive from you and the confirmation of what God has already said. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is, because he said some things there that if if you are not trained in your hearing, uh, you may have left scratching your head. And, and like I said to him after the service, you do not deliver such messages in 45 minutes. It is absolutely impossible. You just need to find one point, make it, and then save the rest for the next time, and the next time, and the next time. But I think it's important for us in this journey, in this walk, as we are talking about grace, and he said it so right, so aptly, and that is that the work of grace is deepening in our lives and in our hearts, and I really, truly appreciate that. And so, let me just jump in this morning and just share with us briefly on the issue of crisis in identity. And I'm just going to be making some of the points already made, but just re-emphasize them because I believe that most of the issues and challenges that beset us can be directly traced to the issue of identity crisis. There is no doubt about that. And we will see in a moment that this issue of crisis in identity is not new. Rather, it is ages old. In other words, you've heard it said that the enemy has no new plan. He has no new plan. And he cannot have a new plan because the enemy does not have any revelation. He cannot have a new plan. But he has one plan that has worked so well for ages. He does not need to change it. And that's the issue of identity crisis. Now, please go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. God helping you and I, to be properly established in we, who we are, it will change not only us, but it will also change everything we touch and everything around us. Absolutely. The issue of identity is so critical. Look at our world. Look at our society. Why are people having sex change? Why did Bruce Jenner become Caitlin Jenner? Identity crisis. Why is a man who was created by God to be a man taking hormone shots to become a woman? Identity crisis. Why are women trying to be a man, dress like a man, talk like a man, and go through Expensive surgeries to change them. And they, when you sit down, talk to them and bless them, bless them. I don't, I don't condemn these individuals. Please hear me this morning. I'm not saying this message to condemn anyone at all. Because the, these individuals we are talking about, if you really talk to them, they are sincere in what they are thinking. They are just sincerely wrong. They're sincere. But they spent a lot of money, a lot of time trying to rediscover themselves when they were never lost. They were never lost. But the reason that's taking place, now, you know, what I just said is so graphic. A man trying to be a woman, a woman trying to be a man, and and Bruce Jenner, Kathleen Jenner, we we see that as so graphic and, and we say, oh, wow, why would anybody do this? That's graphic. But you know as believers, we are not too far from them? Yes, as born-again believers, a man who is a man, a woman who is a woman, we are not trying to change sexes or genders. We are not really that far off from these individ- individuals I just described. And we'll see that in a minute. And so I truly believe that once you settle the issue of your identity, who are you? Who is the through you? Once you settle that, you'll be amazed at how many things in your lives remain permanently settled. There are some battles you will no longer have to fight because now you know who the real you is. So in Genesis chapter 3, oh, hmm, Let me go to chapter 1 first. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, back to that verse 26. When God spoke this intent out, he spoke it out. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion. Now, if you just take a pause there, because when God spoke this, Adam and Eve were not there yet. But other than God, there was some other being in the garden. Ezekiel twenty-eight gives us the clue as to who has heard this instruction or this intention. Lucifer, who was the guardian angel, who according to Hebrews was to be the uh, was to be a, a minister to those who are the heirs of salvation also heard the intention of God concerning man and woman. Let me take a pause there because I don't want to lose you. This is huge. Did you get that? Do you know that Ezekiel 28? Do you want want me to read it or you you accept it? (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) The Bible makes it clear that Lucifer was in the Garden of Eden. Specific, located right there in the garden. I, I understand why he had to be there. God had to have the angels who will minister to us available ahead of time before we get there. That's the kind of God you have, man. He has angels placed all around you so that when you need ministry, they hearken to the voice of his word concerning your situation. So, God made it clear. From the very beginning that man was going to be like him. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Please pay attention to what this serpent said. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat. Nor shall you touch it lest you die. Well, that's not totally true. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Can you imagine this audacity of the serpent? With authority. With authority. Uncertainty. He said, you will not die. Okay, let's go on. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the point here is, Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve will have been totally rendered powerless if Adam and Eve knew their true identity. God said in Psalms 8, verse 5, in the Amplified, that man was made a little lower than God Himself. But they didn't know who they really were. If they had, they would have rejected Satan's offer outright. Adam and Eve had everything, but they didn't know what they had. Therefore, a talking snake was able to convince perfect people that if they would sin, they would become more like God. And Before you laugh on that, many of us have talking snakes. Every time somebody around you says anything that's contrary to the word of God, they are a snake. There is snake talking. Anytime they make a suggestion or say something that is contrary to the word of God, taking you away from what God has already said, recognize that snake right away. Say, snake, I see you there. <laughs> Amen. So right from the beginning, we see Satan's ploy. The temptation for Adam and Eve was not just to eat a fruit. No. That was the, that was just the, that was the, what what can I, that was the, uh, oh my gosh, the ruse. That's not the issue. That's not what it's after. He said to them, if you eat this thing, you're going to be like God. Question, were they not already like God? Why did they think they needed to do something to be what they already were? Why do you think you have to labor to do something to be what God has already made you? Same issue. Because to be engaged in any labor or effort to be what God has already made you and called you to be, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be to be like Adam and Eve. Because you are trying to add or to refurbish or to renovate what God has already done. You are saying to God, you didn't do good enough. I can be a better me than me by doing something about me. That's what you're saying. So the issue here is that Satan was tricking these guys to offer them something they already had. Now, but how did he do it? Because that's, 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 that's where I want to go this morning. How? Look at that chapter 3, verse 1. Has God indeed said? What does that suggest? He sows a seed of doubt. Has God indeed said? Just look at the tonation. You, You can just hear it. Snake. A snake is talking. A snake. A snake is talking. Has God indeed said? He's sown a seed of doubt. Doubt if entertained long enough because of unbelief. And that's the problem. Right there from Genesis, that's what we see. As God indeed said. And once he sowed that seed and they bought the seed, that seed of doubt, it was just a matter of time. By the time you get to verse 4, they were already in unbelief. And they fell. So the greatest defense Adam and Eve could have had against Satan was a total confidence in who they already were and what they already had. And so by extension to you and I, the greatest difference we have in any circumstance or situation Is knowing who you are, whose you are, and what God has already done in your behalf. And you need to know the enemy will send everything at you to sow a seed, to cause, to ponder, to think, to consider that perhaps you are not really who God said you are. That's his job. But it's your job and my job to remain steadfast. I don't care what you say, certain. Satan. I know who I am. Oh, that's why I like that song. That song by Shinnok. That's a singular song. Uh, is that Shinnok? What's his name? We can rename her. That's fine. <laughs> he said, I know who I am. I'm holy. I'm perfect. I'm complete. I'm a miracle. Look at me now. Look what I'm about to become. Hallelujah. I could hear that song 99 times and don't have enough of it. Because it corroborates the word of God perfectly. So at the beginning, we see this doubt and unbelief sowed by Satan to Adam and Eve. He didn't stop there. To show you how, how, how the enemy knows that this is a working ploy. So Jesus comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter 3. Walked to the river Jordan. John the Baptist is baptizing. And Jesus walks there and John saw him coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1 29. He got in there and the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 in verse 17 as he went into the water to be baptized the heavens opened up And we saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove, and made a proclamation, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Please don't miss it. He had not taught a Sunday Sunday school class. He had not been to the synagogue. He has not healed the sick. He has not raised the dead. And God was pleased with him what makes you think you have to earn the pleasure of God? From the day God created you, he's pleased with you already. You are his masterpiece. He could not make another person better than you. He knew what he was doing. You are an intentional creation of God. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. and you are going to allow the enemy to sow a seed in your mind that maybe your nose is too big your lips are not small enough your size is too small your height is short and this and that and you are running helter skelter to please the world and not God God did not make a mistake you are his masterpiece he saw you before you got here you were in his mind in his intent you are his desire you are his pleasure and you don't have to add another thing to that it does not need your effort he did it all for you on your behalf and now he says to you through paul you are accepted in the beloved oh hallelujah the world around you may reject you they may not appreciate you they may not commend you they may not say good things about you But if you truly know who you are and understand your identity and what's in your back pocket, it's not your Georgia driver's license that defines who you are, but the fact that God said he has made you in his own image and likeness. You have an ID that is higher than Georgia driver's license. You have an ID that is better than the blue passport. You have an ID that is better than your Nigerian passport. You have an ID that is registered in heaven. If you just know who you are. So Jesus had a proclamation. Now you need to understand this. You need to understand this. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, I believe it is. Luke chapter 2. Let me just find it for you here. In Luke chapter 2, I believe it's verse 52. The Bible says concerning Jesus that he increased in wisdom and in stature, and that he had favor with God and with man. Now that is that is important. Luke 2.52, tells us clearly that Jesus increased in wisdom. Am I the only one that's hot here? Okay. Alright, alright, alright. No problem. No problem. Okay, okay, alright. I should not ask that question. So, the Bible is clear to us. That Jesus did not come and on day one started speaking perfect Hebrew. He didn't. He didn't just come as a baby and start speaking Greek, Aramaic. No! He increased in wisdom and in stature. And he had favor with God and with man. What does that mean? Jesus on earth had to operate by faith like you and I. But not only that, there was a witness of the spirit in his life as to his identity as being the son of God. But besides that, witness of the spirit on him, a day came in the life of Jesus, Mr. Coach, when his mind had to accept what the spirit was saying. A day came for which he had to in his mind, in his physical mental mind, had to accept the fact that yes, I am the son of God. Uh Are you hearing what I'm saying? If Jesus had to go through that process, being born, growing up, increasing in wisdom and in stature and in understanding and his mind come into a place of acceptance of the revelation of who he is. It's going to take the thing for you and I. But now, nah, so he was baptized. God spoke about him. Everybody heard it. Including who? The devil. Don't forget Mr. Lucifer. He doesn't miss those events. Whether you invite him or not, he shows up. He comes to church on Sunday morning. He comes to your Bible studies. He's at your parties. He's at your job. He's in your marketplace. He's there. there. He has agents. Whose job is to sow seeds of doubt. That will lead to unbelief. Because once he gets you hooked with unbelief. You're finished. You're finished. So this devil heard this. And in the next chapter. Matthew chapter 4. Please go there with me. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1. Well, verse 3. It's the same time. Verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, wait a minute now. Did we not just hear that in Genesis? The test... That Adam and Eve failed. Lucifer was waiting for Jesus. The first Adam, I got him. He failed. You are the last Adam. As far as I'm concerned, you are really the second one, but we don't know if you will be the last. The test that Adam failed, let me offer it to you. Wow. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Why? Because the issue is the issue of crisis of identity. Jesus, are you going to define who you are by what you do? Because in my village, there are witch doctors, herbalists that can deliver things. They make things happen, pastor. Oh, Yes. The chair will lift up. You will see it hanging in the air with no no support. That is no joke. Absolutely. They speak things in the atmosphere. You see things happen in the natural. If it's true. So if Jesus will be defined by what he does, we're in trouble. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Listen, I can count hundred witch doctors in my village alone. It will be no problem to take bread and turn it into stone. Or take take stone and turn it into bread. You will eat the bread you enjoyed. It It will be full of good calories. You will grow. Easily. That is not even a miracle. Am I talking? Does anybody else? uh, (laughs) Apostle. Am I talking? talking To make stone, to turn it into bread. Is that a miracle. If some of you want that, I can, I can tell Fred to send it to you. <laughs> they ship it I brought to you in a moment. So this is what this devil was asking Jesus to do. Can you imagine that? Reducing Jesus to a witch doctor. Or to a herbalist. Or to a voodoo practitioner. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Let's define who you are by your labour. Let's define who you are by your effort. Let's define who you are by what you can accomplish. No. I'm not defined by what I can accomplish. I'm defined by what he has already accomplished. But it is interesting though for us to see here that the enemy has no new tricks. So he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, this is what you ought to do. And of course, what did Jesus say to him? Let's read it. Oh, actually he said it twice. Well, first, no, verse 4, Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, I don't take orders from you, Satan. Then verse 5, Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So again, you see see that the, the, the intent of this enemy is at the Identity of who Jesus is. He's saying to you, if you are really the Son of God, oh, and let me say this to someone here this morning. Don't try to define God by what you get or don't get. In other words, if you are the Son of God, he says to him, Fall off from this cliff. And God will give his angel charge over you. And of course, if you are not the son of God, he does not give his angels charge over you, you die. <laughs> That's what he said. So, what I'm saying to you is whatever it is you are trusting God for, by God's grace, it will show up expeditiously. Amen. Amen. But if it does not, we must be like the three Hebrew boys. We must tell that devil that my God is not defined by performance. Before I was in need, is God. Yes. While I'm in need, is God. Yes. After my need is met, it's still God. Okay. So the point I'm making here is the enemy caused Adam and Eve to fall because, it was because of the issue of identity crisis and now he offers Jesus the same thing. But Jesus would not give in to the ploy or the temptation of this enemy trying to make him perform to do something that God has already proclaimed and announced. Amen? Now, so we saw it with Adam and Eve. We saw it with Jesus. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The issue of identity crisis. Verse 17. Before I actually get there, hold your place in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let me just go to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me clear out something for us. Hebrews chapter 4. I know you've seen this scripture and you've read it. Hebrews 4.15. The Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with your, or rather with our weaknesses. Look at what it says but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Question. How was Jesus tempted in all points like we do? How? Does this mean he was tempted with drugs? Was he tempted with immorality? Hello? Hello? Did you see this in your scripture? The Bible says he was tempted in all points. Like as we are. Yet without sin. So what could that possibly mean? I mean, did somebody offer him marijuana? Or whatever was the relevant drug of his day? Did he have a temptation to sleep with a woman or do something crazy or uh, out of the law? Is that what the Bible is talking about? Because it says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. It's Very simple. He was tempted with doubt, which is the root of unbelief. And unbelief is the tree upon which all sins grow. Did you get that? I'm not sure you got it. The reason the Bible could say that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, every temptation you and I go through begins with a doubt. No matter what the temptation is, it always begins with a doubt, which if entertained long enough, becomes an unbelief. So Jesus had the opportunity to doubt who he was. Had the opportunity to disbelieve who God said he is. And in so doing, was stepping all things like you and I. Not because it was offered marijuana or cocaine or uh, immorality. No. No. I've said this to you before and I'm saying it again. Those things are symptoms. Those are symptoms. They are never the root cause. The root is always unbelief. Where you find unbelief, you find every kind of wickedness and evil evil and, and sins. Amen? Now, so we saw Adam and Eve fell, we saw Jesus withstood the enemy now 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 the Bible says therefore if anyone is in Christ it's a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new now this is an identity change issue this is the reason I'm bringing the scripture in therefore if any man or anyone is in Christ it's a new creation what is a new creation? a new creation a new creation, all things are passed away. It's like I went to the Atlanta constitution and I said, I want to change my name. I no longer want to be called Bank Akimola, I now want to be called uh John Jane or whatever the thing is. Not not Sally Jones. God forbid, amen. But once you become John Doe. That becomes your new identity from that point on. So the Bible is saying to me and you, therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, it's a new creation. All things, all your old identity, your old profile, passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now before we we define the new identity, we we need to establish what is not part of it. For instance, the day you I got born again, if I was seven feet tall, 250 pounds, did that change? No. If I was dark-skinned when I got born again, after I been born again? Am I still dark-skinned? It's, like it's not rocket science. If I had pimples on my face when I got born again, after I been born again, what happens? The pimples are still there. Stay there. In fact, if I have a desire before I got born again for Amstel or Heineken's, do you think that desire just leaves me when I go born again? No. 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 If you love peanut colada, <laughs> oh yes, whatever. <laughs> I see many of you guys have partaken. Yeah, <laughs> pina Colada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see. Yeah, true story, true story. I went to a house of a member one day, just to visit. I was there. They went in the refrigerator and brought out what what they thought was apple cider. They brought it out and they poured the thing, and I could see the bubble. I said, "This thing is bubbling too too seriously." <laughs> this thing may not be apple cider. So, so I said, "Can I just see the bottle?" I looked at the bottle. Eighteen percent alcoholic content. I said, "Oh my God." They are in the service this morning, by the way. <laughs> I'll let you use the gift of the spirit. <laughs> They'll find out who those guys are. And they say, we made a mistake. We didn't know. We didn't have did. okay, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Praise God. But this is the point. When you became born again your body never changed. The physical reality of who you are never changed. If you are tall, you remain tall. If you are short, you remain short. If you have pimples, you still have pimples. If you are smart, you remain smart. And if you are stupid, nobody hears this. <laughs> nobody hears like that. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you like to make deals, you're still making deals. If you like to make America great again, you're still making it great again all right, all right, all right. This didn't change. Likewise, your mind did not change. This is what I mean by that. When you are happy, you still know that you're happy. When you are sad, you still recognize that you're sad. When you are encouraged, your mind still perceives that you're encouraged. When you're discouraged, your mind Still recognizes that you are discouraged. Amen. None of those things change. But what definitely changes is your spirit. Amen. Amen. That is the huge identity change that took place when you were born again that you must be acutely aware of and embrace if you are going to walk in confidence. Confidence as a Christian. Huge. You do not possess a dual nature. The devil some days, Adam other days, and Jesus other days. No. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Past things. All things have become new. Now, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians to perform let, let me set it set this up. This is so important. Well, okay, no. Let, let me read the verse first. Ephesians four, verse twenty four. Look what it says. And that you be, no, I'm sorry. And that you put on the new man which was created according to who? God in true righteousness and holiness. This was what Dr. Onufo was telling us last Sunday. Notice the verbiage. Notice the sentence. Notice how he says it. He did not say that you and I are, cre- are being created or will be created. He said, which was created. Past tense. He did not say it's a process of creation. He did not say this is what is going to happen. He said, it was done according to God. How? In true what? Righteousness and holiness. Now, this is the key. This is the key here. This is what God says. This is what the Bible says about you. About your spirit. Do you believe it? Ah, you see? Some of you are grunting. You are grunting. Because your reality, your human experience is telling you differently from what the Bible said about you. This is the problem. Huge problem. You were created. Past tense already done. Didn't need your permission or your involvement. In true righteousness and holiness. Let me give you a good example. Let me me, me break it down for you. Women should catch this easily. Men will follow you. Every woman in getting dressed. They have to have a mirror in fact for many of them having one at home is not enough you have to have one in your pocketbook if I need one dozen mirrors right now it'd be easy to get them different sizes thank you very much because most women carry them in their pocketbook why do you need a mirror because when you're getting dressed you look at your face in the mirror you are, and when you see your face, you make an adjustment based on what you're seeing. Is that correct? Yes, you look at your hair, your, everything you look at in the mirror. Question. Can your eyes really, truly, definitely see your face? No. no, no right. Let me help you with that. No. <laughs> Unless you're a monster. <laughs> and there are no monsters here. Thank God. No. You cannot literally, physically see yourself. But you see your reflection in a mirror. And based on the reflection you see, you see your makeup is not too even here. So you adjust it. If you are wise. <laughs> you may see your maid in Korea hanging a little loose here. So you make the adjustment. Thank God for Koreans. Amen. That's their redemption gift to the world. Amen. (laughs) They keep us looking good. Amen. Praise God. So you trust a mirror and the reflection you're seeing in it to give you a good picture of who you are physically. How do you see your spirit? By faith, a mirror. You believe what the mirror is telling you. You don't see yourself you can't see yourself so you totally completely trust the mirror to give an accurate reflection of who your physical body is and what it looks like and with no question at all no argument no controversy yes. the mirror says you need adjustment you do it you part yourself you said man i look good now you step out how do you see your spirit what is the tool through which you can see what's happening in your spirit? Because by faith, you trust a mirror. You have never seen yourself, but you are trusting a mirror to give you a good reflection of what yourself looks like. you don't know whether the mirror is made in China, made in Singapore, made in Mexico, made in Atlanta, you just trust the mirror. Ah, this mirror. It must be good. I bought it at Nima Marcos. So you trust in the mirror and you go about your business. So for our spirit. James gives us the word. In James chapter 1. I'm almost done. This is taking me a little long, but James chapter 1. Verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all faithiness and overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceive yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So what's the word? What's the metaphor for your spirit? The word of God. The word of God. Just as you cannot see your physical face yourself and you trust a mirror to give you accurate reflection of what your face looks like. The Bible is saying to me and you, to take a peek into your spirit, trust the word. Trust the word of God to be the final arbiter, the final definition of who and what your spirit is. And we are told in ephesians 4 24 that we were created by god according to god rather by god in true righteousness and holiness if you don't believe that you can't leave it you can't leave it you have to believe it to leave it you cannot leave it if you don't believe it one last scripture then i need to bring this to a close Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12. I'm praying that in order for me and you to work in the success that God has for us this year, we need to settle the issue of our identity. Look at Hebrews 12, 23. To the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, To the spirits of just men made perfect. Ha! Did you say that? No, you did not. Of course you did not say it. You are too busy looking into the mirror to see your face. (laughs) Look at what it says. He's talking to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God the judge of all. Look at that last phrase. To the spirits of just man made perfect. In other words, your spirit is as perfect today as it will be the day he sees Jesus. It's not very perfect. Now, nah. Dr. Norfolk raised a question and I will would, would not answer it today because again, again it, it, we, we need to take these things in baby steps. It's, a, it's, it's too huge a message. Motivation for holy living. He established very powerfully that as born again believers, 1 John 3 9, I believe it is, or 1 John 3 19, one of those two, two, that you cannot sin. Whew, okay, I pin drop. How did it drop? And then he says to us that we do sin. What a contrast. Which one is it? I cannot sin. We do sin. Which one is it? Stay tuned until next week. <laughs> no, really, we we'll pick it up from there next week because the, the truth is, it, 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 it's, it's going to take a minute to explain that and I don't want to take any more time. I want to bring the thing to a close. But the truth of the matter is, I just told you the spirits have just been made perfect. You yeah. are. Being created by God according to true holiness and, and true righteousness and holiness. All this while I'm referring to your spirit which has been sealed by the spirit of God. No doubt about that. And if you don't understand that, the enemy will what? Wear you Out. But next week, we'll pick up the other side of it. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I don't want to leave it hanging. The reason you and I, who recognize our true identity, can live victorious over sin is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close by going to John chapter 8, and I mean close. This is the last. And final closing. John chapter 8. I'm aware in our human experience we struggle, we fail, we do commit sin. I'm aware of that. But God has given us a remedy and we just need to understand it and know how to make the application. In John chapter 8. Verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very hour. just imagine. Picture this in your mind. This was not a private meeting. Can you imagine? In this sanctuary as I'm teaching, coach brings a woman in and said, I caught this woman in adultery. In the very act with everybody in the congregation looking on. That's what they did. And they did it because they want to trap him. This preacher of love and grace who also represents God, that should uphold the law. We want to see how you're going to do this. Okay? Not only did coach bring the woman. Coach also quoted the scripture. That's what legalists do. In verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what did you say? It would, been, it would have been a little easier if we know that these guys esteem Jesus. They don't. So they bring in a case to them and say, this is what Moses does. But okay, how about you? What would you say? Okay? These they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you let him throw a stone at her first. You know, I never saw what I'm about to say now before. This is, this is, this is a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Jesus was born under the law. He came to fulfill the Therefore, he will not violate the law. Notice what he said. He did not say, don't stone her. What he was saying is, yes, I agree with Moses. She's done something. That demands death. Let's kill her. But who who, will throw the first stone? So by doing that. It upholds the law. By saying yes stone her. But who will cast the first stone? So they cannot say. That Jesus did not honor Moses. So let's uphold the law. He upheld the law. Let's read it down. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. He's been around longer, so he's seen more than the rest of them. <laughs> Man, this Jesus is too much, right? I'm telling you. Beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Can I just say this to all of the opponents of grace? All of us who are so contentious about the sin issue and so concerned that this man is sinning or that woman is sinning and no, they shouldn't go to heaven, they shouldn't do this. Can I just say this to you? Jesus was the only one who was qualified to throw a stone. He was the only one Who was without sin? Who could have stoned her to death? So the only qualified person to execute judgment chose to extend mercy. This Jesus is too much. But that's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is, listen, I want to help us overcome a lifestyle of sin. God judged sin. Therefore, you and I should no longer continue to participate or partake of it. Absolutely not. The man of God gave us two reasons last week. I add a third one. Number one, he said we are dead to sin. Number two, he says by sinning, we open the door, give access to the enemy in our lives. But the third one is this. If I'm sinning, you are sinning. It destroys your horizontal relationships. Not only do I allow the enemy into my life, but my friends, my wife, my husband, my family, they can't appreciate who I am because I'm full of sin. I'll leave a bad trail of relationships all around me because I'm off in my relationship with God. So sin is never a good preposition. But how do we overcome it? Jesus did something here. Verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are these accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No. No one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sing no more. Please take note of this. Jesus' have said, go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. He didn't say that. In other words, he had a deliberate choice of the order of what we spoke. First, he spoke, neither do I condemn you. In other words, I am giving you a gift of no condemnation. Now, upon receiving that gift, go and sin no more. If you ever want to overcome sin in your life, you have to first receive that gift of no condemnation. It is within that gift of no condemnation that the power of God lies to set you free from whatever sin has entangled you. So you have to have a correct perspective of who Jesus is. He said, I do not condemn you. You have to receive that gift. You have to say to God, God, I thank you that even though I'm messed up, even though I'm not living right, even though I've blown it, I thank you that you pay the price in full and you do not condemn me. When you receive that gift of no condemnation, you are now empowered to step out of that evil, wicked, sinful place in your life. You cannot reverse it. By reversing it, what you are doing is I'm going to attempt to go and sin no more. And perhaps because of that, I will receive no condemnation. Wrong theology. Old Testament theology. Covenant of law theology. You can never make enough plans to not sin. I will go nine steps to overcome sin. And when I've done the nine steps, God will not condemn me. Wrong. Wrong. Before you get to step number three, you've blown it. That's why you overcome sin. You overcome sin by appreciating what God has done. Jesus, I thank you. You took my place. And in taking my place, you totally, completely freed me. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I received that gift of no condemnation. Because I have the gift, I'm empowered to live above sin. Did you get that? Yes, sir. So, next week, we take it from there. And so, Father, we want to thank you. I realized this morning, Lord Jesus, there are people who who are struggling with various sins, various acts of wickedness. Your word says that the Lord came through Moses. But that grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we receive your grace in our midst. We do not condemn one another because we know that you don't condemn us. And so Lord, we release upon this congregation the gift of no condemnation right now in the name of Jesus that inherent within this gift will be the ability, the power supernaturally to be delivered from the chains and bonds of wickedness. We we'll break the chains of sinfulness and wickedness over your people in the name of Jesus. You said in your word that sin will no longer have dominion over us because we live under grace now and not under the law. And so, Father, we thank you for a release of that grace upon us. Thank you, Father. We will bless and we honor you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, yeah. Is Ayodeji here this morning?